welcome to the Mama Marketer podcast. I'm your host, Olivia. And today I am here with um, my new friend. We met on Instagram recently. Um, I've been following her for a while and then we just finally are being able to chat today. Um, but this is my friend, Leah Lamaster Horton, and she is with a company called Horton Test Prep. And uh, she's going to tell us a little bit about her and about her business today. And then also just give us some tips on what we can do for our kiddos as they are approaching these big milestones, um, kind of in their older, uh, you know, high school and beyond and just ways that we as parents can support them and what we can do. We know we can't take the test for them, <laughs> but what else can we do? Um, so Leah, I'll let you go first. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience and about your business? Thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. I've actually been a homeschooler for 18 years. I homeschooled all three of my children and I've been an SAT coach for seven years. So what I noticed uh, for my children as when they first started prepping in their journey, that even though they were straight A students in math class, they, and we went all the way through calculus in high school, they still ended up bombing the SAT the first time they took it or the first several of the practice tests. And I wasn't quite sure why. It actually did take me a little bit of time to kind of figure that out. But the reason is because there's a huge difference in taking a test in a class. So just say you're in algebra two, right? And you're gonna be taking a test in chapter nine. You've been studying chapter nine for three weeks and then you take a test and you do well. Now I'm not trying to diminish grades because they're very <laughs> important and good. However, there is a big difference in getting an A on that type of test when the material is fresh in your mind and the SAT, which is a college entrance exam where the concepts are all out of context 40% of the test is arithmetic. The remaining amount is algebra one, algebra two, geometry, and just a little tiny bit of trig. And because the concepts are all out of context, I have found that a lot of times students think they never learned that concept. I cannot tell you how many times I'll have students say, Mrs. Horton, I never learned mode. That's not something I ever learned. Or I never was taught how to do the equation of a circle or distribution and adding like terms or uh, countless other um, skills that are taught in the arithmetic um, years, which is kindergarten through eighth grade, right? Mm -hmm. That's the foundation of arithmetic. So really what students need is a lot more practice. So, yeah, how crazy to think that, I mean, I know it, obviously I took them when I was getting into college, but how crazy to think, I just assumed SAT was what you learned in high school. They're testing you over what you learned in high school, but clearly 40% of it is basics that you've probably never even thought of. It's stuff I'm teaching my kids now, you know, my, my little. <laughs> right. And people tend to think arithmetic is really just the foundations of addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, but that's not true. There's just so much more to it and, and students forget. So it's not like they had a gap in their education. It is simply that they needed a reminder and most students do need um, a lot of reminders, to be honest. And that's what I've found over the last seven years is that, um, and although I do teach both tests, ACT and SAT, I've been living in Florida for 24 years and more families take the SAT in Florida. So I've become an SAT expert mm -hmm. and I, I know that one very, very well. And I, I think that between the two, I would, if, if you're like, oh, which one should I try? 
I would suggest SAT. It's not easy, but it's easier to learn how to be a good test taker. But the main point is because it offers 29% more time on the math. And wow. that is where students need it the most. And that's significant. It is a wow. significant amount more time. See, so, say again. Oh, I was just going to say in Kansas, where I live, they're a little different because they actually say, uh, at least when I was was in school, um, they pretty much just push the ACT and they say to only take the SAT if you basically do bad on ACT. Um, but I'm wondering, like, math is not me or my sophomore strong suit, I don't think. Um, so that is making me think maybe we should just go ahead and take both just to with that extra time on math. I mean, that makes a huge difference for someone that's insecure with with math, high school math. So that's yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Actually, most students, whether they're homeschool, private school or public school, where they need help the most is the math. So for the ACT, it's the science section and the math section that brings the composite score down. And on the SAT, it's just the math section. Mm -hmm. So the ACT has four subjects where the SAT just has three. Mm -hmm. It's the reading comprehension, which is five different reading passages. And then you answer the questions about those passages. And then the writing and language, which is the English grammar section. And then the math, and it's two, two sections of math, but it's math without calculator, math with calculator. So the ACT is 60 seconds per question. And there's 60 questions. Yeah. And with the SAT for section three, it's 75 seconds per, per question. Now you might be thinking, oh, that's just 15 seconds more. <laughs> but it, it adds up, it accumulates and it really does help the students so much more. And then section four, is 87 seconds mm. per question. So again, 27 seconds more than yeah. the ACT. Then as far as skill, skill for skill, they're both hard, right? Like <laughs> but they're be covering about the same amount of material. So I would, I, I think that the math problems are just as hard mm. on both sides. And there's a lot of consistency with how College Board um, uh, repeats the skills from mm. practice test to practice test. So you can yeah. learn how to be a good test taker. Yeah, my um, math section was of course my lowest. And now I'm wondering maybe if I would have gone back and taken the SAT, maybe I would have had a little bit higher of a math score to show. Um, but yeah, oh my gosh, that's that's so interesting. Um, okay, so since we're talking about these uh, big tips, uh, big, uh, big tests, what would you say is like your top tips if we are at the age where we're they're looking at needing to take ACT or SAT, that's the next step for them. So I think it's maybe like sophomore year, um, I think, and you can totally correct me if that's off, but we're looking at the barrel of needing to take these, these exams as a means of getting into college. So what's your top tips for us as parents is how we can help kids prepare for ACT, SAT? Absolutely, start early. Um, I cannot tell you how many times I have parents calling me, and you're not gonna believe this, second semester, senior year. Oh, no. to help their um, their student be able to to get the scores. Now it is possible. It is doable. It just takes a lot more time than students realize or parents realize if you need to have a significant score increase. And most students do need a significant score increase. So my biggest advice is to start early. The best time to start is January of your sophomore year. So okay. starting in 10th grade. So either 
fresh either fall or spring semester, but because a lot of times I am coaching students that are going to be training and prepping to score their highest for the PSAT, which is fall of their junior year, when it matters for national merit scholarship, they are going to really be intense training between January of 10th grade through October of your junior year. That's the prime time to really hit it hard. And I, uh, I, I have some bad news to tell you. <laughs> True, but I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, so don't shoot the messenger, okay? <laughs> it actually takes um, a lot more time than parents and students realize. And, and the bad news is that what I've noticed through the years is that it takes closer to 20 times through the practice tests, which is a lot. I will admit it, that it, it's a freaking lot, isn't it? It's a lot. It also works. So most students don't um, raise their scores to the top, you know, 10 to 15% in the nation, which is where the merit-based scholarship money is. So if your goal is to win honors programs, right, at private schools or to win those merit-based scholarships, you need to have your scores in the top 10 to 15% in the nation. And it simply just takes a lot more time than students realize. Um, so that, that would be my yeah. main suggestion is start early, flush through. Um, if, you, if you want me to tell you a little bit about my methodology. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, um, about Horton test prep and kind of what you guys do, but that, that's a really good tip, um, to start early. And as far as the 20 practice times, I think, I think I took one practice exam. <laughs> so I was woefully underprepared. It sounds like, cause 20, yeah, 20 is a lot. And I think there was some. There was some mind frame of you shouldn't take it too much because you'll get in your head about it. But it sounds like, I mean, you run drills before a basketball game, you watch right. tape before a, a football game. So it kind of sounds like the more you can get in and practice, the better. Yeah. So that, that's know, really interesting. I'm of the mindset that this exam, which is about four and a half hours long, like you have to get there at 745, the test starts around eight or 815, and you're going to be there until like about 1230, sometimes one. So that's a four and a half hour exam. That's a marathon long yeah. exam. And just like athletes have to train their muscles to run a marathon, I believe that students need to train their brain muscle to be actively engaged in a test for that long amount of time because the math is at the end. Oh gosh. <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. And so because of that, I, I'm just a firm believer um, in over-preparing. When you over-prepare, you have this confidence. And, and my mantra, my saying is with experience comes confidence. Mm. And it's just so true. The more you practice something, the better you get at it, right? Yes, definitely. I when love a good soccer player. You practice, right? Yes. You want to learn um, the violin, you practice. Anything that you want to become really, really good at, you practice. And so living in Florida, we have a state scholarship and a lot of the students are trying to win that state scholarship. And it just, I've gotten to the point where now that I've done an educational research project in grad school on how much time does it take for students to raise their scores significantly, you know, most students are coming in around average or below average. And what that means is, um, let's just say that math, for instance, the score range is between 200 and 800. So if you walk in on test day and you miss every single math problem, which would never happen, but if you do, they're going to spot you 200 points. So you're going to get 200 points. And if you get all of the math problems correct, all 58 problems correct, you'll get a score of 800. So 
the national average is slightly above that. The national average for the math is a 528 out of 800. So you can see halfway between the 200 yeah. is 500, right? So that score, the 528, is a national average of high school graduating seniors, the 528. Most students that start off prepping, those sophomores, are going to be coming in scoring closer to 350, 400 when they first start prepping out of 800. For them to have significant score increases, to be able to be where they could win those merit-based scholarships, they simply need a lot of practice. And I'm just a firm believer, and I've actually seen it happen. It not only happened with my three children, who um, I was able to, and I'm not saying this to brag, but they bombed it the first time. And they were able to raise their scores significantly and end up scoring between the top 3% in the nation and the top 12% in the nation, simply because I had them practice a lot. But I'm, I'm a big believer in only using college board materials so you can walk into Barnes and Noble and yeah. you can see a plethora of test prep materials, Princeton Review, Kaplan, Barron's, all these other companies. And I have parents call and say, Leah, does, will this raise my daughter's test scores? Now the answer is yes, it will, you know, it will help. It will raise their test scores. It's not excellent. Okay. It's not going to raise your scores as high. It's if you use College Board materials, because College Board is the organization that writes the test, okay? And they wrote 10 practice tests that are online for free. You can just Google SAT practice test number one, and it pulls up in a PDF format and print it out, right? So the fact that we have 10 free practice tests online, it just makes sense <laughs> to be practicing through College Board materials. Now you can go purchase the College Board study guide and that's fine and good to do so, but I just wanna let people know that they are online for free. And practice test one through four were written to be practice tests. And what that means is it, it covers the skills that College Board wants students to know, but practice tests five through 10 are past real tests. Oh, cool. Or valuable, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's cool. There's no better way to prepare for this test than to become very, very comfortable and feel confident with past real tests. And um, that practice test five through 10 is called a QAS, and it's the question and answer service. And really what that means is that three times a year, parents are able to actually purchase the test questions, which is highly valuable, um, after their student takes the test. So if you're ever taking the SAT test and you see that there's an option to purchase the $18 extra for the QAS, yeah. I recommend it. And all that means is, of course, after they take the test and they get their scores back, they're able to go into their college board dashboard and see the actual test question. That is so cool. That's such a good tip. And I love the 10 free practice tests because I assumed that you had to pay each time you took a practice test. And I was thinking, oh man, I got a budget for 20, 20 practice tests, but that's such a good place to start. And of course we know as homeschool moms, it all comes back to the curriculum and having the right curriculum that passes the right, you know, the right checklists. And it sounds like that's kind of what you're saying as far as with prep material is making sure it's college board um, approved. So, right. Okay. Now the coaching would cost money to get right. to higher tutoring and coaching, but the actual supply for, for the parent to just print out for the student is um, available for free. 
Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the coaching aspect of it and kind of what you do. Um, just kind of like overall, um, a little bit about court and test prep. Certainly. Well, I offer both um, group classes and private coaching and on-demand videos. So I have three different products, but it is pretty much the same thing where I will walk the students through all sections of the practice test. So the reading comprehension, the writing and language, and the math. What I have found in the past seven years is that most students need help the most on the math. And here's why. The College Board answer explanations are written in paragraph form, but that's not how we read math, right? <laughs> we read math with numbers and we and reading math just for somebody to understand what that means. Reading math simply is understanding why you go from one step to the next step. If you can mentally go, I understand why you're going from this step to the next step, that is reading math. But because the solutions manual, the answer explanations are in paragraph form, a lot of students get really confused when they try to use that. And um, I know that a lot of students try to jump on Khan Academy, but I just want to say something about Khan Academy because yeah. as an, I've been an educator for 19 years. I respect free education for the world. I respect that so much. So I want to say that first. Okay. <laughs> um, however, there's a disconnect. And I know that Khan Academy is connected with College Board for helping off offer free SAT prep training. However, a lot of times there's a disconnect between the video clip and the problem, and it really causes a lot of frustration. And because there's no support, there's no chat box, there's no phone support, and there's no email support, that's not a good thing. Because when you have that one moment in time where that high schooler actually cares mm -hmm. <laughs> to get their question to clarification answered, man, you have to have a real person be yeah. able to answer it. And I think that having that real person to ask is an important part of coaching mm -hmm. so that they can touch base with them. And so I, I believe that um, the group class, my group class price is half price. So whatever my private coaching price is, group class is half price just to make it more affordable for people. And uh, we go through, again, all of the sections. And I asked myself, if I was a high school student and I was going to be taking this test, what would I need? And I thought, I want to understand what a perfect score looks like. Mm. Show me, show me not just the 1600, show me exactly why that is the correct answer. And I'm a classical educator. And so I'm kind of used to that explaining why behind everything. And so I do, I take the students through each and every question and explain why it's the correct answer. And as far as the math goes, um, I do teach a ton of shortcuts and a lot of strategies. That's very important. But at the end of the day, I'm a skill-based teacher. So I, you know, they're testing these students. Do they understand this concept? Do they understand this skill, right? So is it a relatively easy skill? Is it distribution and adding like terms? Is it um, systems of equations? Where a lot of times you have to explain to the student just definitions. Like when the question is, what is the solution to systems of equations? A lot of times they won't even know that you're talking about two linear equations. So you have to explain the difference, right, between a quadratic and a linear equation, mm -hmm. and then explain that the solution is when those lines intersect, right? That exact 
point, that coordinate, that x and y value is the solution to the systems of equations. And um, unless you have uh, no solution, which is parallel lines. So I do like to explain to the students on each and every question what the skill is, because they get to the point where as soon as they can say the skill, yep. it gives them the clue of what to do. Because I'll tell you what, it's not the math that's hard. It's the setup. Yeah. It's being able to get to the question and go, how do I even start? <laughs> so it's knowing how to do the procedure, knowing how to do the setup. That is the hardest part. And to be honest, it just takes time to be able to learn it because a lot of the questions too, College Board doesn't want you to actually do any math. They want you to see the math and understand it. And they'll ask the question in such a way that if you knew you know, what the vertex form is and the way they word the question, um, you there's only one answer choice in the vertex form, then you know that's the correct answer where all the other students are sitting there working on the equation, right? So yeah. there are a lot of shortcuts. It just takes time to learn them. Yeah, and you're, I just wanna say you're, you're so right on that con um, academy. We, uh, we, we completely switched up the type of curriculum. I have a, about to be a sophomore and we struggled freshman year math. We were using an online curriculum and my sister teaches high school math, freshman, sophomore math in the public schools here in Wichita. And I had her look at it one day and kind of, she was helping me out, you know, and she was just like, I really don't think that you can learn algebra and geometry self-taught via a screen. Cause he didn't have like a real teacher. It was just, if he needed me, I would come in and anyways. And so we're, we're it's sticking with the same curriculum but workbook based so that he has to write it out and he has to read it out, talk to me about it understand the the like the vocab like there's just like you said there were so many steps to solving an equation it was understanding what type of equation what you know even just like I would have him memorize like I would well I would think that he was memorizing the vocab that was given to him at the beginning of a lesson but he wasn't you know he wasn't and so and he was trying to do so much of it in his head because most of his answers the way he was supposed to answer was multiple choice but you just cannot do algebra and geometry. You can't, I mean, my husband can, but most people cannot do that in their heads. And so we completely changed everything about our homeschool for next year uh, because we needed a non-screen-based way of learning math. And eventually maybe he could get there, but you know, as far as learning the basics, I was like, we I don't want to screw this up anymore. And so, yeah, you're, you're definitely onto something there. I'll tell you what, we spend so much time between kindergarten and 12th grade telling students, show your steps, show your work, right? Know, know the mathematical way to solve it. But then we give them a college entrance exam where I don't want them to show their steps. I want them to see, can, can they answer that question without doing any math? So that it's a different goal, right? For homework, we want them to show their steps. But for the SAT test, the goal is to get to the correct answer the fastest way possible. And yeah. if you can if you can answer it without doing any math, bing, 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 extra points, right? Yeah. So yeah. a lot of boys love that. My yeah. son, for sure. He's like, yay. <laughs> but the problem is getting to the point where they know which problems they have to put pencil to paper, yeah. which ones they can do their head. Because it's more like maybe 30 to 40% they can do in their head you know, and 60 to 70%, they actually have to do the problem. And I think that's why we struggled for as long as we did is because he would get the right answer sometimes. And I wouldn't know if like, I don't want to, I don't want to challenge him if he's smarter than me and is able to do solving for X in his head. 
but how much of that was truly him knowing it and how much of it was guessing. And so, yeah, we, we eventually had to come to terms that a lot of it was guessing, but it was hard as, you know, I'm not an educator by trade. So I, I didn't know what signs to look out for, for is there truly a grasp here or are we just getting lucky choosing answers? And so, yeah, it was, it was definitely a struggle. <laughs> yeah. But I would say for homework, like the goal isn't the correct answer right? The goal is understanding the procedure and showing the steps. Yeah. So, cause I, I went through that <laughs> who just finished his freshman year of college that, um, it was the whole writing out of the steps is the answer, not the answer answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. so that's, yeah. I'm looking forward to, uh, just a new, a, a second, a new take at high school math you know, by hand next year. <laughs> so, um, okay. So since we're talking about my son and high homeschooling a high schooler, you had said somewhere, I think in an Instagram message to me about how the intense pressure that homeschool parents are under. And it is, it is so true. I mean, I stress every day about the fact that at the end of all of this, I got to make a transcript that hopefully a college will take, right? You hear the horror stories of the moms who didn't have enough record keeping or were missing a an elective or whatever. And so I like, I, we, we had a, originally we were only going to homeschool through middle school and the plan was always to go back to high school, but then it came time. And my son was like, please don't send me. I don't want to go to public school. That isn't how I want our life to be. I value being at home. And so, you know, I'm, I, I rallied and decided let's do it, but oh my gosh, it's, you know, I don't know that people with their kids in public school at freshman year are panicking about, getting into college and maybe some are like, I'm sure some kids are in prep schools and they're thinking about it, but I, it is true. There's such an intense amount of pressure. And even like, he just barely passed his freshman math. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like everything builds on freshman math. What have we done? Is it just going to be a struggle? And it's just, it is, there's a big, there is a lot of pressure. Um, so I appreciated you acknowledging that. Um, and I would love your, advice for, for parents like me who are maybe just getting started or even are going to be in the next couple of years. Like, I know it works out. I have friends who've gotten their kids into more than one college and you obviously have, you know, graduated uh, kids from homeschool. So I know that it's possible and I know it works out, but oh my gosh, we just need that encouragement and that advice when we're in the middle of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, first I just want to say a grace abounds, like you need to give yourself grace. You need to give him grace and realize he has time to learn this material. Okay. So I think we have to give ourselves that reminder every single day to give ourselves grace and just do the next right thing. Cause sometimes when times are hard and you're going through a stressful situation, those simple words do the next right thing. were so encouraging for me. So it was actually junior year, uh, my oldest, um, where I experienced that. I would say, uh, severe anxiety over, have I done enough, right? Is her transcript strong enough to get her accepted to her dream school? She was wanting to attend Wheaton out in Chicago, which is a private Christian school. It was kind of hard to get into. Yeah. And so I was really um, concerned over getting those ducks in a row. But what I look, I can look back on is, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to choose the perfect curriculum, right? And there is no perfect curriculum, right? There's lots of different curriculums that would work well for students, but you're going to try to find the one that's the good fit for that, for that child. Um, I think if I could go back and tell myself, then I would just say, relax, 
breathe. Um, don't think about it quite so often because mm -hmm. I, I think because I kept pondering it all the time, I was bringing that stress on myself. You know, it's kind of like write a plan, work the plan. Mm -hmm. You write a plan of where they're going to be going for their high school, and then you're just working it. That kind of takes the pressure off. The other thing, too, is that test prep. I think I would give homeschooling families the advice, and I actually got that advice. Um, we were highly involved in speech and debate. It was a homeschool Christian league called NCFCA. So if you don't know anything about speech and debate, highly recommend the NCFCA. It's the National Christian Forensic Communication Association. It's kind of a mouthful. But I was at a meeting, and my daughter was in eighth grade, and I heard her say, wow, I just wish we would have spent more time on test prep because they spent countless hours pouring over at the homeschool convention, what curriculum to use, but they put off test prep until senior year and it was just kind of too late. Yeah. Because of the fact that she was going to be applying um, in August of her senior year. And that's what I think a lot of homeschool parents don't know is that you're not applying at the end of high school, right? You are applying at the beginning of senior year, which is why the transcript is important because the college is only gonna see freshman, sophomore, and junior year, right? Those three years that have the grades filled in, uh, they may see your plan of what you're planning to teach um, for senior year, but um, you know it does need to be strong. Uh, but I think, I think the, the pressure, and I'm not trying to put pressure on, but for the suggestion would be to start the test prep early because it does take longer than students realize. And when students first do a practice test and they, they see that they have got a 300 or a 330, it's very disheartening. Yeah. Yet it happens all the time. Yeah. But I do want to be clear. That's where most students start, but they don't stay there. If they're going through the practice tests and they're being trained and through what is this skill, you know, they learn it. And so when they come across that skill, you know, in the second practice test or the third practice test or the fourth practice test, they'll be like, I got this one. I know exactly what to do. So it's, you know, it's kind of like, oh, sorry to interrupt. It's, it's kind of like my son is starting driver's ed and there's driving hours. There's so many hours he just needs to drive with us in the car. And it's kind of like, you almost just need to get your driving test out of the way, like your, your benchmark test. You just need to get that first go out of the way so that you have a place to start and study and grow from. Right, right. And, and you know, I, I actually joined the National Test Prep Association, which is for other test prep professionals. And it was really nice for me to know what other test prep companies are doing. And they suggest the same thing going through these practice tests 20 times. I was like, yay, that was just really comforting to me because I had already come to that conclusion from my own three children and, and the students I've been coaching all these years. But that's also what the other companies are doing. They're, they highly suggest just college board materials, right? Yeah. And, you know, and just flushing through those skills. And yeah. so, yeah, my biggest suggestion, because it takes the pressure off the student to have to get those test scores their senior year, that's yeah. painful. And right? to only have one go, like to just know that that's the, that's the test you, scores you're gonna have to live with. And sometimes your college, I remember my freshman courses were dependent on how I did on my test. Like I had to take right. more math or less math or whatever, depending on how I did. And so I would have loved to have known that I could have gone 20 times. 
<laughs> but there wouldn't have been time because I didn't do it early enough. But that's so that's so that's so good. Um, well, I, I do have some advice too, that when you sign up to take the test, the College Board SAT test, they're going to offer three different scores that can be sent to colleges in advance for free because you've paid to sign up for the, the test. I would not take them up on that offer. A lot of homeschool families do, and then they regret it because you're sending your scores and you don't know what they are. Yeah. Your college of choice. So <laughs> I, I definitely wanted to say that on this podcast that I do not recommend sending those scores. You wait until you get the scores you want and then you pay the $15 to send it to your school you're applying for. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's good. And my next question is college-based anyway. So that flows right into it. I wanted to kind of know your top tips for helping our children get into college. Um, I hear, I hear that it's all about the transcript, but it's all about the test score. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that it's really as you need to have both. It's a, you need to be well-rounded, you know, but it seems like depending on what conference I go to, they emphasize, like I said, a lot of homeschool conferences emphasize the transcript, you know, um, mm -hmm. and then a lot of just educational uh, resources that I read emphasize the best test score you can possibly get. And then sometimes like on the state level, I know the state of Kansas has put out guides to getting into college and it's all about the electives and the extracurriculars and the, the volunteer hours. And so it's just kind of like, it makes your head spin where it's just like, what, okay, just like, what should I be focusing on? Like, what are the most important things? Because no one can do it all. <laughs> right. It, it's, it's kind of like all of those are correct, right? Because every college is going to be looking for different things because it's different people evaluating it. So my, what I would say to that question is, I'm not a fan of definitely having a well-rounded student. I would prefer a pointy student. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that their student resume, which by the way, every student should have a student resume. Okay. <laughs> I teach students how to write one. Uh, it's very important to have it when you're applying, not only to college, but for merit-based scholarships. But okay. your student resume tells your story of from ninth grade to 12th grade. So unless you did something super significant in eighth grade, like you made it to a national math competition, right? In eighth grade, then I'd put that. But otherwise, everything should be ninth grade through 12th grade. And that um, the being pointy means showing passion in a specific area. A well-rounded student is a student that did a year of chess, year of robotics, year of speech and debate, and a year of soccer, just a year, you know, that didn't go deep anywhere. So being pointy means finding a few things, one or a few, that they were involved in for all four years. Mm. Say it's soccer, right? They did varsity soccer freshman through senior year, and by senior year, either they were, um, captain, co-captain, or they did a passion project with it. So I'm an educational consultant and a test prep expert. So I'm always encouraging families to look for passion projects mm -hmm. because it's, um, number one, it's good for the student to serve others. <laughs> okay. But that's really what it's about. It's something they're passionate about. And then they take it to bless their community. So let's just stick with soccer pretend this student is a soccer player. How would they take their love for soccer and host an event, right? So that's showing initiative, that's showing leadership. They're naming the event. They're getting volunteers to run it. Uh, they are 
perhaps hosting an inner city um, soccer camp in the summer or younger children, they're just taking their passion and blessing others. Mm -hmm. So it not only is a great way to get volunteer hours as well, but it gives students something to ponder, think about, write about for their college entrance exams, um, talk about on their student resume. So that's a great way to kind of go deep in something that they're already pointy about. Yeah, I love the idea of a pointy student. I love the idea. I have never heard of a student resume until right now. That's really cool. Um, do you maybe have a sample of one of those somewhere that you maybe can, okay. I can send it to you. And, awesome. and the reason I think it's so important because I wanted to come back around to this is um, I'm kind of known as the scholarship queen in wow. Orlando, Florida, because <laughs> I, I was able to help my own three children win a significant amount of scholarship dollars. And I just found out about when it's a relatively new scholarship, but it is the best one in America. And it's only for high school juniors. So you apply in January of your junior year and it's called the President Coolidge Scholarship. Okay. And um, the reason it's so great, because I know a lot about scholarships, is that not only is it a full tuition scholarship for all four years, it also includes room and board, which is crazy because that's a hard cost, right? That's like food and, and dorm room. And it's to whatever college the student chooses. They wow. could choose Princeton and it's 80,000 a year. But if they win the President Coolidge Scholarship, it would cover all of it. So right. it's just a great one to go for. But because you apply January of your junior year, you have to be organized for it. You have to pre prep for it sophomore year, right? That's why I'm saying January of your sophomore year through October of your junior year is that training period um, to be able to get your highest scores ever to flush through those 20 practice tests. Sorry, don't shoot the messenger, it, but it works. It yeah. really, really works. And then you, you sign up for both the PSAT and the SAT in October of their junior year. So I have some parents go, but won't that be a lot on my student? Yes. Yes, it will. It'll be a lot. It'll be a little bit brain dead, but that's okay because they're primed and ready, right? You need to have them take the SAT. Number one, if they score really high on the PSAT uh, for national merit, you have to have confirmation scores on the real SAT gotcha. to confirm the PSAT that it wasn't just a fluke. And so that's why it's great to go ahead and, and take it a couple of times if need be and fall of your junior year to get, hopefully score your highest score ever because you need that if you're going to be going for the President Cooler Scholarship, which I recommend everybody to apply for that because it helps students get ready. You have to get letters of recommendation. You have to write a student resume. You have to upload a headshot. Uh, you you know, have to answer some questions. It's just a really wonderful scholarship yeah. goal. And then even if you don't win, because I think there's only two or three winners, but they have something called the Coolidge Senators, where there's a hundred winners and you win a trip to Washington, D.C. And, you know, there's a lot of accolades with that, too, to be yeah. a, a, a President Coolidge Senator. But then you're ready, right? By the end of your junior year, you're ready. And even if you didn't score your highest scores ever in fall of your junior year, you still have a little bit of time spring of your junior year to score your highest test scores ever so that you're ready to apply in August of your senior year because and the reason to apply early is because a lot of programs 
um, will only invite you to their scholarship weekends if you turn in the application by, you know, October 15th or October 30th. And then you usually scholarship weekends are in November through January, sometime mm -hmm. in that period, where the student will go to the school and interview for um, a, a scholarship. And my son's interview when he went to scholarship weekend was a 30 minute one-on-one -on -one interview. Wow. The scholarship. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that, that Coolidge scholarship sounds cool and it's worth a shot, like you said. And then you you kind of know the process. I know, um, and I definitely wanna talk about your scholarship tips next. I know uh, for me, one of the best pieces of, of advice I got was to just go ahead, I think it was maybe my junior year, just to go ahead and write a couple of essays, um, just to have them ready. The counselor at my school that I was at was like, yeah, there are these Coolidge ones. There are these big four-year ones, but there's also a ton of like $50, $75, $100, $200. There's also a ton of these smaller scholarships that you can go for that is just cash to go towards your books or whatever it is you might need. And so, yeah, I had two or three essays written up and submitted those more than one place and got a couple of those scholarships. And I, I didn't think anything of it, but it was so nice when I had to go buy books <laughs> at the University of Kansas. Uh, and I had a little nest egg that I could buy books because I, I, that was the first shocker to me when I got to college was how expensive my textbooks were. Um, $289 for a book. What? <laughs> yeah. It was so nice to have. Now I didn't cover all of them, even those little ones that I got, but it was so nice that on top of everything else you were having, it was like move in weekend. So it's like, you're trying to stop, you're trying to put your dorm together. And so there's cost there with like, I remember having to run to the store every other day to get something that I didn't think to pack. But on top of that, then having to buy a $300 book, it was just so nice to have some money. And I couldn't use that money on dorm stuff. It could only be used right. on, on, so that was something that I thought was really cool to not overlook the smaller scholarships because they do add up. Um, but what's, what's your advice? The, the, the biggest question I get uh, is just from people just wanting to know where do we even start? Especially like when I was in school, I went to my counselor. These homeschoolers don't have that option. So where should home homeschool parents, especially like where should we even start as far as trying to get scholarships? Okay. You know, I am just a firm believer in this one honor society. It's called the National Society of High School Scholars. It's kind of a mouthful. National <laughs> Society of High School Scholars. So N-S-H-S-S. Okay. Now, a lot of homeschoolers are not allowed to be a part of the National Honor Society. So that's mm -hmm. the well-known honor yes. society. Okay. The National Society of High School Scholars is an honor society. It is a legit honor society, but it's a members only forum. It does cost about $75 to join, but they're based out of Atlanta, Georgia. And what's wonderful about that honor society is that they offer so many scholarships and you can apply for scholarships junior year. So I definitely would go ahead and join now okay. and apply for a scholarship. And, and the goal is not to win it. The goal is to learn how to do the process, yeah. how to go through the process to apply for a scholarship through the National Society of High School Scholars. And the majority of the scholarships are probably for the juniors and seniors in high school. I would think that's for most of them, but I'm sure that they also have some for, for sophomores as well. But that's where we actually found a lot because of the fact that they have leadership scholarships, you know, science scholarships for kids that are into science. They have sports, they have theater. There's just so many wow. that they offer and you're going through a smaller pool of people. Even though there's thousands of people across the nation that are members, what I've noticed is that once you're a member, you're always a member. 
like all three of my kids are still shown as members, cool. but they're not in high school. So yeah. they're not competing with your kids. So yeah. don't think that that member pool means that that's how many that are competing for the scholarships <laughs> because um, two of my three children ended up winning a thousand dollars through them and the money went directly to their school of choice and that's probably one of the reasons i feel so comfortable recommending it is because i know it's legit i know that because i looked into it they do have an accounting firm that confirms that the dollar uh the money raised for the scholarship um money is the only money that goes directly to the schools versus the money that's raised to run the organization or two different funds and that mattered to me and so yeah i think that we found a lot of them through that. And then just to mention one other scholarship that I like a lot is for girls, it's for um, high school senior girls. It's called the Distinguished Young Women Scholarship. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big fan of that scholarship as well. Both of my daughters went through it. They give away like a billion dollars a year. Wow. It's crazy. They raise a ton of funds and it is the largest scholarship for um, female seniors. And so That's I really, really like that one. Yeah. Okay. I'm definitely going to look into that NSHSS because I wondered for homeschoolers, what is the equivalent of national honor? Um, and I know sometimes like I remember being told, oh, if they, if they charge you to put your kid on the list, it's probably just like a scam, but you're telling me that it, yes, there's a membership, but it is actually legitimate and could turn into scholarship opportunities. So that's all I need to hear to give it yeah. a shot. You know, <laughs> I am so glad that you mentioned the potential scam thing. I'll just tell you briefly. I actually found out about it when my oldest was in eighth grade and somebody told me, Oh, if they charge money, it's a scam. Yeah. I didn't join, but I am a classical educator. So I spent a lot of time on the well-trained mind forums back in the day. And I, I noticed somewhere that the president of Harvard spoke at their convention in Atlanta mm -hmm. at the Jimmy Carter Center, kind of legitimized it for yeah. me a bit. And then I went into big um, research mode. Like I, I had some requirements that I wanted, right? If I'm, if I'm going to spend the money and it's like $75 to join, but if I was going to spend it, I wanted to make sure that, you know, that the money that they raised for scholarship really went to right. the students, right? That the money wasn't sent to the students so that they could go buy clothes. No, yeah. the money was sent directly to their college of choice. And and it, it certainly met all those requirements. Yeah. And now we've been a part of it for so many years. And I know I know a lot more about it and say, can say for sure it, it is legit. And yeah. this is the organization that would be for homeschoolers. Yeah. Um, because it does look good on a student resume, right? It's yeah. a line item. Yeah. On your student resume to say, yes, my, my child was a part of an honor society. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I will definitely um, look into that. And then you just reminded me when we were talking about the resume and the line items, I loved your whole passion project idea. And for me, it, what that looks like in my family, we are really involved in Boy Scouts. Like my husband is like second, third generation and my kids will hopefully be continuing that if I don't mess it up. And so they have their big Eagle project which basically is like a community service type project. There's a board that has to approve it and say that it really will help the community. And it has to be the community you're currently living in. And so um, we're kind of counting on that to, to polish up, you know, that transcript or that resume. So I just think that's so, I, I'm a big proponent of how well I think scouts and homeschool work together. Um, because if we just stick to our Eagle program, our scout program, like you said, work the plan you've got in place, then you should have a, a great looking line item. <laughs> I know right. Eagle doesn't- Volunteer hours. <laughs> yes, volunteer my son, hours. my son was an Eagle Scout as well. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. And I know my son, my, my husband says that Eagle doesn't take you quite as far nowadays as it used to, like it used to be, he used to have a card and everything. And, um, you know, but it's kind of lost a little bit of its luster. Cause I just think there's more, uh, more scouting organizations out there, but I, I think it still is going to look good on a transcript and on a resume and even adult resumes. I know, I know grown men that still put this on their resume in the corporate world. So, um, okay. so yeah, that was reaffirming to hear that it's good to have a passion project. Cause that's totally part of our plan to wrap up Eagle. So, um, okay. So I just have a couple more questions left for you. We've done a really good job kind of like naturally going through everything. I had a question that I thought of. It's not on the list for you. Sure. I don't know how much you follow. Like I follow like pop culture and, and stuff like that. And so I want to ask you what you think about the big college admissions scandal that happened with like all the celebrities out in California. Do you know anything about it? Oh yes, absolutely. Okay, I'm sh I figured you would. Oh, My sisters and I watched a documentary on it. I watched it as it was happening. I knew, actually knew one of the girls from like a reality show that I watched, like I recognized her. And of course, yeah. most of us knew the moms. Um, so we recently watched a documentary on it and it was way more, I, it, I had no idea. They, they were working with a coach that advised them to do these things. And yeah, it just way awful. more. Yeah. So what are your thoughts as someone that this is your field, this is your profession? What's your whole thoughts on that whole random thing? You know, I think it, I think it's really, really sad. And it's a sign of just the, the moral compass of people in our world. Um, I still see that a lot of um, students reach out to coaches, asking them to do their homework, take tests for them. Right. So it, you need to find a coach with integrity. That's going to be like, no, I'm not going to take your yeah. test for you. That's ridiculous. Um, I, I think it's sad that the parents really, Yes, I think it's bad that the coach offers it, but I think it's it's really um, unfortunate that the parents thought that it would be okay to yeah. to pay money to have you know somebody else take the test for yeah. their for their children. So it really it was just sad, yeah. very very sad. And I'm so glad that it it was exposed. Um, yeah. I do feel sorry for those um, for those students. I think yeah. they're we had we had two thoughts after we watched the documentary, and one of them was, oh my gosh, are there like doctors out there that didn't actually get into their school because some they cheated and now they're out there like like we were legitimately worried <laughs> about <laughs> people that maybe had graduated this program and were like you know I don't know we, that's one thought we had but the yeah. other thought we had was like these these people went to a better high school than I did they had better coaching probably better teachers I mean these are you know silver spoon kids that yeah. probably didn't need a whole lot of help. Like, I feel like they already had a better, edu better education than the average American student just based on their parents' income. And so I was just like, you probably didn't need to do this, you know? What they didn't have was a work ethic. Right. Right. Because yeah. they, they might have had the mental ability to score well if they would have tried, yeah. <laughs> if they would have gone through the practice test 20 times, they yeah. could have. Okay. Maybe, maybe they would have only needed 10 times, yeah. no, but they weren't willing yeah. to put in the time and the effort to work yeah. hard to get your scores because yeah. there's a real sweet feeling, um, for students. I have a student who started off and their first raw score on practice test. Number one was a 420. Okay. Wow. Very normal. And, um, they took the, uh, SAT. Well, they went through the, the, the practice tests and they, their first time taking the real SAT, they got a 690 
Wow. And then they took it again and they got a seven ten. Mm-hmm. And they're well, they want to go to Ivy. So you're you really need really, really high scores for that. Yeah. So they're gonna they're his goal is to get between 750 and 780. Wow. But it's it's just an example. Yeah. That your score can increase a lot. Yeah. If you put in the time and effort. And each 10 points extra is roughly one more question correct. Wow. Give or take. That's about it. So it doesn't go up by one point, right? Your score goes up by 10 points um, as the scores go up. So it's possible. Yes. I love that. Um, Okay. So tell us for um, definitely me and then just also for anybody listening, if they are wanting time with you or to to put their student in a training with you, um, where can we reach you? Where can we find you and engage with you? Tell us where you're at on the internet and stuff. Absolutely. So um, it's HortonTestPrep.com. So just think of the elephant, Horton, the elephant, that's how you spell it. (laughs) And um, as far as reaching me, you can email me at info at HortonTestPrep.com. And I do have a group class that just started this past Wednesday that's meeting at 345 Eastern from 345 to 545. It's a two-hour class. I purposely have two-hour classes One, it just takes that long to get through the material so that a student can leave each and every class with me with a raw score. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important for them to get a raw score. And then two, because this test, you know, is four and a half hours long, I think that they need to have practice of um, having a practice session that's two hours long where they... And they might get a little bit brain tired at an hour and 20 or an hour and 30 and have to push through it a little bit, right? Work that brain muscle to be actively engaged. So this group class that I just put together was 10 weeks leading up to the October SAT test. Very cool. And, um, and PSAT test, which is the middle of October. So if you are prepping for the PSAT, the PSAT is not any easier. It's Mm -hmm. just shorter. So when you're prepping for the SAT, you're prepping for the PSAT. So I suggest prepping for the SAT because the, there's more questions in the practice tests. So it's not like the different skills. Gotcha. Okay. Very cool. So it sounds like now is a really good time. If you have like a junior or no sophomore junior, now's a good time to get it on the group session and to get ready for test season, which is going to be coming up here soon. Um, and I will make sure to link to her website and her email. I will put that all in the episode notes and I'll put her Instagram too, since that's where we met. Um, so yeah, you guys can always message me if you have questions. Um, do you have I any also, other? Yeah. I also do private coaching. So some families prefer for it to be one-on-one and I offer that as well. Yeah. And, and do um, the big question I always get is like siblings. Could you do, if we had a couple of high school siblings, would you able, be able to just kind of do that in a private setting? Yes, we can do okay. siblings. Very cool. I know a lot of, you know, homeschool families, (laughs) big families, lots of kids close in age. So, um, so yeah. Okay. Well, um, if you don't have any closing, I'll just remind everyone a great way to show your support for me and for the show is of course, just to go on social media, Facebook and Instagram are my biggest ones. Like me there, follow me there, whatever you're listening to this podcast on, go ahead and subscribe to me. I'm on all the major ones. So give me a subscribe there. And you can also subscribe to my blog, which is a step a lot of my fans forget about. Um, you can go to my website and either scroll down to the bottom or catch it in the sidebar and just put your email in there and uh, subscriber numbers are, are big for content creators like me. So that's a good way to show your support. 
other than that, that's all I have. So everybody have a good weekend. And follow yes. me on Instagram. Yes. Yes. At yes. Yep. I'll definitely link to you. Um, since that's kind of, that's my favorite platform, I think right now is Instagram. So I'll definitely put Leah's uh, Instagram in there. So, all right, everybody, that's all we got. <laughs> Bye.